You can go ahead and have a seat. Welcome on uh, Memorial Day. Glad you're here. I, I definitely know that uh, you could be a whole lot of places uh, other than here, and so we're, we're really thankful to have you. Uh, my name is Luke, also one of the pastors here, and whether you're here for the first time, first time in a while, uh, just really glad to have you this morning. Uh, the, the life stage of our church right now, uh, it becomes really important for us uh, to be really strategic about the things that we do, and maybe even more strategic about the things that we don't do. Um, everything we do at this point is because we honestly believe uh, it's of infinite value into the lives of people, or we wouldn't do that. That's a promise I can make you. The things we do right now are because we believe that's going to provide infinite value, and the things we're going to do in the future will also be because we believe that provides infinite value. The reason I say that right now uh, is because this is uh, a really good on-ramp for some people. We're approaching a time of year uh, where there's a really good on-ramp that I think for some in the room uh, is, is an opportunity for you to step forward in a place that I think is going to provide uh, a lot of value for you. Uh, we believe, honestly, that life is better connected. We believe uh, that doing life in good moments, in bad moments, in super average moments, that having people you love and having people that love you, having people that are there with you walking through life, and having people that aren't going to turn their back in other times of life. Having those relationships infinitely makes life better. We believe that you've been created for relationship, and the reason I say that is because the driving force of relationship in our church is what we call city group, and we have a summer term of Citigroup starting next week. So this is a great on-ramp for you if you're interested in that. The goal of all of our city groups, it, it's pretty simple. We want people to find care and community. And so for this summer, we're going to do intentional things within our groups to stir up opportunities for deeper relationship and have opportunities for care, both physically, spiritually, emotionally. This is the driving force of that in our church. Now, even a room this size, which, you know, Memorial Day, the room this size, is not all that big. But it is even difficult in a room even this size to find the level of community that adds a lot of value to life. Where people are walking with you and they love you and you love them. And it's also hard to cultivate relationships in a way that leads to care, both physically, spiritually, emotionally. And so that's what our city groups are about. And this is a really good on-ramp if that interests you. Our summer term uh, goes through June and July. We're, we're just coming off of a month break in May. All of our city groups stop meeting for the month of May. Uh, we're entering into this summer term, and then we're going to take another month off in August before we start, start the fall term. So uh, if you are interested in something like that, that sounds like maybe a next step for you. Uh, a lot of ways you can uh, kind of raise your hand, take that step forward. You can talk to me. Uh, we've got volunteers wearing white lanyards all over the place. They would love to help you. We literally have people here on Sunday morning whose only responsibility is to answer your questions and get you connected at the level that you want to be connected. Uh, I also know that maybe for some in the room, uh, that doesn't feel like the right next step. It maybe feels too quick or not like the right time, and that's okay too. Uh, but if you're interested and you want to take a step forward, try out a city group, uh, the summer term is pretty low commitment. You're just showing up, building relationship, and then some people hopefully uh, adding value to your life by walking with you. So no, that is coming ahead. Uh, now, for this morning, uh, we're going to wrap up what has been a 13-week series of talks in the book 
of Acts. Now, the book of Acts was written by a practicing medical doctor, highly trained and highly intelligent. He actually wrote two books of your Bible. The first one is the book of Luke, and the second one is the book of Acts. But behind all of it was a really wealthy man who became a follower of Jesus and was convinced more people needed in on this. So he commissioned his friend Luke to leave his medical practice, get down on the ground, interview a bunch of people who were with Jesus and around Jesus so that he could write down the historical account of who Jesus is and what he's done for humanity. That's what the Luke, book of Luke is all about. And then he writes this section of our Bible called Acts to tell the historical story of what happens from the cross of Jesus And how did this movement and message of Christianity ultimately get to the ends of the earth? This is what the book of Acts is all about. And so for the last 12 weeks, we've been on this side of Jesus' death, watching as the movement of Christianity takes more momentum and gains speed and gains breadth across the world. One of the names that comes up pretty often in this conversation is a guy named Paul who's really at the center of this world-shifting movement. We've mentioned him a few times. If you've ever read through this section of your Bible, you would see his name quite a bit. And the reason is because it would be impossible to tell the story of how Christianity gets from a cross in A.D. 30 in Jerusalem to Columbus, Ohio in 2023 without mentioning this guy Paul's name. So, so he comes up pretty often, and our eyes right now are going to be primarily on something he said that I think is one of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you uh, and you're interested, Acts chapter 20 is going to be the best place for you to turn as we kind of wrap up this section of talks. If you don't have a Bible, as always, um, I can't stress enough how free one is on that table out there. Uh, I can say, again, you don't even have to exchange a smile, a comment, a a friendly greeting. Uh, You can just grab one and grab one for a friend on your way out if you're interested in that. Acts 20 is going to be the best place for you to turn. Uh, I don't know if uh, you went to a wedding that was just ravaged by COVID, uh, but uh, my cousin was scheduled to get married at a particular time, and COVID hit in a way that they kind of rescheduled some things, and then they just decided, you know, we're going to have a wedding with just really close friends and family, and we're just going to make it happen in all of this. And I went to that wedding, and they did something in this wedding that I've never seen done before, but I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, it, it was really a group of insiders, like only the premium family, only the premium friends were really in, invited to this thing, and they had off to the side this like very well-decorated uh, you know, flowers, little table. I know a lot of thought went into that, and so uh, just appreciated it from the outside. As you got up there on a really nice, like, felt board and really pristine lettering, it said something like, uh, here's a Bible. We want you to underline a verse that's been meaningful for you and you think might be meaningful for us as well. And I thought, man, that is a pretty interesting concept. And so I started to think, like, it you know, I, I've spent some time in the Bible, like, where, where would I underline a verse? Immediately, a verse came to mind that I not only want for me, I want for the people I love, I want for my cousin and his wife, uh, and so I underlined that thing, and I wrote my name. They wanted you to write your name in the margin. I did all of that. This is the place I want to take us here this morning. In fact, th- this little thing that happened at the wedding sparked an idea for me. 
I thought, uh, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old that wouldn't in the slightest think this is cool right now. My hope is that eventually they would think it's cool. It sparked this idea uh, that, that I want to actually get a Bible, uh, one for each of my kids. And over the, the course of a couple years, what I want to do, like for Brooks, who's three, I want to spend a couple years like reading through that Bible and, and anything that I see on all of these pages. I want to like underline and like write little notes to him about different things. Uh, and by the time I get to this section, like I think that's going to take me years. It's probably going to be really emotional when I hand him that bad boy like in middle school or something. And he may or may not care. Uh, but it's going to take me years to, to fill this out and write notes. And I know for sure when I get here, the note's going to say something really close to, this is my dream for you right here. This is my dream. You could be great athletically. You could be academically proficient. You could have a great career and help a ton of people. And your mom and I, we're going to celebrate that. But this right here is my dream for you. This is my dream for me and my family, for my spouse, my kids. This is my dream. If you call the Capitol Church home, this is my dream for us. Where I want to take us here this morning in Acts chapter 20. So we have world changer Paul. We, we've mentioned him. He has been traveling around the world with the message of Jesus in his hands because he's convinced more people need in on this. He's so stunned and shaken from an experience with Jesus that he's like, this can't possibly stay with me. And so he's traveling the world, trying to get the message of Jesus into new hands. He believes that this message can actually change people and it can add value both to the life they're living now and add value eternally. And so he's given his life to this and he says something really powerful in Acts 20, verse 22. Now, we're only going to co cover a couple of verses here. I, I think... The volume of scripture here, though, that we're going to cover is disproportionate to the value that I think it can bring us and can bring your life. So, so not a ton of verses here, but I think the value is, is really disproportionate to the volume. Here's what it says in verse 22 of Acts 20. It says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. Now, where, where Paul's at is not Jerusalem, but at some point, young Paul, between ages 10 and 15 years old, he gets this really special opportunity. He grows up around highly religious people, and sometime when he's like middle school age, he gets this opportunity to get to Jerusalem and study under one of the most famous rabbis, a guy named Gamaliel at the time. This is the Ivy League school of how to know, understand the Bible, and how to live a religious life. He gets this incredibly prestigious opportunity. And so he goes to Jerusalem to study under this rabbi as a young guy. And what's interesting is it's not just the prestige of the opportunity that separates Paul from a lot of his peers. Even in this Ivy League school, he's different. He gets things better. He, he's better than the people around him. He's starting to separate himself as somebody who, who knows the Hebrew Bible better than his peers, who gets what being religious is all about, who's zealous and passionate about what he thinks. He starts to separate himself until he has an encounter with Jesus that changes everything. He has an encounter with Jesus that convinces him that this whole career he's been building, all these opportunities that have put him in a position 
to be the best at what he does, he decides to step away from all of that. He has an encounter with Jesus that convinces him, his family, his cousins, his aunties, and his uncles, everything they've believed his entire life, he's going to walk away from that because he's convinced what Jesus has to offer the world is true and better. And so he walks away from all of that to get into other cities and get the message of Jesus into new hands. And what he says is he's walking around. He feels like God wants him to go to new places. In the best categories of what that has meant for his life, he said basically that can be summed up in two words. Jail and suffering. Me leaving Jerusalem to pursue becoming like Jesus and getting more people in on the message of Jesus. Yeah, I can summarize that in two words. Jail and suffering. That's what my life has been, which, which always makes me feel like I don't know that we have access uh, to somebody who's more passionate about following Jesus, uh, who's more passionate about becoming like Jesus, who's more passionate about getting more people in on the grace of Jesus than Paul. And he would summarize his life post-following Jesus as jail and suffering, which always makes me feel like some of this idea that following Jesus comes with a level of like financial flourishing or health and wellness is just not consistent with maybe one of the most radical and passionate followers of Jesus of all time. Jail and suffering. You want to know what it's like for me to follow Jesus? Jail and suffering. And what he's saying here in particular is he feels like God wants him to go back to Jerusalem where he used to live. And he's like, I'm not sure what awaits me there. But what I do know is everywhere I've gone before has led me to be in jail at times and to suffer at other times. In fact, this guy gets really specific about what it's like to follow Jesus for him in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, but he gives a list. He gets really specific about this general category of jail and suffering. He gets right down to the ground of what that has meant for his life up to this point. Here's, Here's the list that he gives. He says, I've been jailed countless times, and I can count pretty well, I feel like, for somebody who's 31 years old, and I don't know uh, at what point me being jailed starts getting into countless. Like, you know what, it's just not even worth me counting anymore. He's like, you know what, I'm familiar with being arrested. I'm familiar with chains. I'm familiar with jail cells. I have been imprisoned countless times. He says he's been beaten countless times. He's often near death. He's been flogged five times. Now, I've talked about this before. Flogging, uh, just imagine a whip that's specifically designed to break and chip bones. It's also designed with really sharp objects to get into your flesh, and then they rip this whip a different direction, exposing a ton of flesh. He's had that five times. In a flogging was you were hit with that whip 39 times because they're convinced if you got hit the 40th time, it would kill you. Which means he's been hit with this whip 195 times in his life. Says he's been beaten with rods three times. He's been stoned one time. He's been shipwrecked three times. Like he's got a lot of traveling and it doesn't always go smooth. He's in danger from rivers. He's in danger from robbers. He's in danger from religious people. He's in danger from non-religious people. He's in danger when he goes into the city. He's in danger when he's in the wilderness. He's in danger when he's at the sea. He's sleepless. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's often without food. He's cold and exposed. 
This is the list he gives. I feel like this had to be one of the roughest looking guys you would ever come into contact with. Like broken, crooked nose, face and back full of, full of scars. I don't know that he has skin on his back that's not scar tissue. Likely limping around, hunched, leaned over, doesn't know a day without chronic pain. Of course he's not sleeping well. Not eaten. Doesn't have a place to sleep most nights. This is his life. This is what loving people enough to get them exposed to the message of Jesus costs him. In fact, uh, he gets really specific about this story uh, of him being stoned, which is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. He gets into this city and he talks about Jesus and, and overwhelming numbers of people are becoming followers of Jesus and becoming radical about what Jesus has done for them and getting the message into new spaces. And so the movement of Christianity is exploding in this city, but not every, every city he goes to, he just overwhelms everybody with good news. He also has some enemies. And because of how he talks about Jesus and because of the culture shift that's happening in a city, a mob grabs Paul, they throw him in front of a crowd, and they start hitting him with rocks until they're convinced he's dead. And as he lays on the ground, unconscious and bleeding from everywhere, broken bones, fractured skulls, as he's laying there unconscious, they think, well, this, this body we don't actually want in the city because now it, it looks a little like unsightly. This is not a pleasant sight, and it's going to start to rot and smell. And so this group takes Paul's, what they think is his dead body, they drag it out of the city so that like animals can have it, just get it out of the city. We don't, we don't want to see it and we don't want to smell it. What they don't know is that they haven't quite killed Paul. Although he's on that doorstep, they haven't actually finished the job. And when he comes to, he becomes conscious again. He stands up, dusts himself off, and goes to a new city to start doing the same things. What's interesting about this guy is his passion to get the message of Jesus into new places is not strictly just because he's a passionate guy. He's passionate about doing this because he's convinced the message of Jesus is true. And if it's true, man, more people need in on this. People with faces and names and stories. They need to know about who Jesus is and what he's done for humanity. And so you can understand why he says this in Acts 20, 22. You can understand why he says, man, I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I'm convinced God wants me to go back there. And I don't know what awaits me. Maybe I'm going to get thrown into prison. Maybe I'm going to be flogged. Maybe I'm going to be beaten. Maybe they'll stone me too. I'm not sure what awaits me there, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. I know that's to come. I know that story is still being written. I know this comes with pain. And then he says this in verse 24. I, I love it so much. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He says this, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what's for me in Jerusalem, but I can guess that that's going to be categorized by jail and suffering. But I do know this. My life is only valuable enough to me 
in its ability to be leveraged so more people can get in on the grace of Jesus that has changed me radically. I feel like for my life and my family and the people that I love, this is what I dream about. That we would be the kind of people that it's like, man, man there, there's good things that we can do and there's ways to leverage our life that are, that are really good. I dream of us leveraging our life as a family. I dream of the people who call the Capital Church home, leveraging their life, us leveraging time, energy, and resources because we're convinced the message of Jesus is true. And if it's true, man, we got to get more people in on it. This is what I dream about. And so I'm, I'm like saying to my kids, like literally, regardless of, of, you know, your athletic abilities and your academics and what you want to do for a career. All that's good stuff, and, and we're going to celebrate that. But this is what I dream about. This is what I want for us, leveraging everything, regardless of the cost, so more people can taste the good news. Now, wh whether you'd claim Christianity or not, what, what I actually want for you uh, is I want you to live for something that's big enough and important enough that if it cost you your life in the end, that would still be worth it to you. But like regardless of what you believe about Christianity and its validity and its impact on other people's lives in the world, what I want for you is to live your life for something so important, so valuable, that if it cost you your life to obtain, you would still see that as good. And according to Paul, there is nothing, there is no purpose more important for the follower of Jesus than this. It's not only worthy of his life, it's also worthy of his death. This is what he's convinced of. And so he just signs up, like, man, let me leave career advancement. Let me leave financial stability. Let me leave family and familiar. Let me leave my hometown. Go to new places. Get beaten and thrown into prison. Have all kinds of evidence that this is not actually good for me. It's not good for my health. It's not good for my friendships. It's not good for any type of measurable category except value added into the lives of people who are currently far from God. If the message of Jesus is true, he's saying, I'm putting everything on the table. I don't even care about my life unless it's leveraged for more people with names, stories, and faces to get in on the grace that I've been so fortunate to taste. Kyle stood right here and read a verse, a statement from him that he's convinced there is not somebody more broken and far from God than him. And if Jesus can close that gap, can give him grace, can hand him forgiveness, then he can do that for anybody. Because he's convinced he's furthest from God. And so passionate to get this message to new places, he walks forward. And I, I'm just wondering. I'm wondering for my life, I'm wondering for us, like, is what you give your life to right now actually also worthy of your death? Is it that important? Is it that big? Are you giving your life to something that's so important? If in the end it costs you your life to accomplish it, would you say, yes, sign me up. I'm for that. Is your career important enough to die over? Is your income, your fitness, your social status... 
it would be easy for Paul to just say something like, you know, man, I would give my life to this. That's actually kind of the easy part. The question is, is it honestly that important enough that he would walk the road to death to get this into new hands? That's the real question. It's easy to say it. And fortunately, Paul lived a long time ago, and so we kind of know what happens from him walking to Jerusalem from then to the end of his life. He's eventually arrested by order of Emperor Nero, this, uh, this guy who all kinds of influence in the world, one of the most powerful people, if not the most powerful person in the world, is sick of Christianity gaining momentum, speed, and breadth across the world. And he thinks to himself, this Paul guy is a nightmare for opponents to Christianity. And so if we can take him off the map, this would greatly help us. And so by order of Emperor Nero, they arrest Paul. They ultimately behead him. He walks the road all the way to the end, saying, more people in on this. I'm going to go to a city, even if it means me dying. Because I'm convinced the message of Jesus is true. And if it's true, more people need in on this. I feel like if you've experienced the grace and the life change that comes with Jesus, I think if you've experienced Jesus in a way that you're convinced he's the only pathway to peace with God, he's the only place you can find grace for sin, he's the only way to life, if you are convinced of that, how can you and I also not say something like, my life is not all that valuable to me unless I can leverage time, energy, resources, gifts, skills, and ultimately my life because I'm convinced more people need in on it. This is the story of Paul. This is the story of the message of Jesus on the backs of men and women like that. You want to know how A.D. 30 from across in Jerusalem to Columbus, Ohio in Jones Middle School in Upper Arlington. You want to know how that happened? On the backs of people who were convinced giving their life to the message of Jesus getting out was also worthy of their deaths. And many of them walked that road all the way to the end. We have books, historical accounts of men and women and children time after time after time, walking that road in their life and it costing them everything and them signing up for it anyways. This guy, Paul, so rattled from his encounter with Jesus that you could not slow him down in his effort to get that further and wider. You just couldn't slow him down. Any opposition, any opponents to Christianity would have felt like this dude was a nightmare. And they tried a bunch of things. They would throw him into prison. And Paul would start talking about Jesus to the prison guards and to other prisoners. And so they would be like, man, every time we throw him in prison, Christianity just accelerates in the prison. So that feels like a bad move. So they pull him out of jail. And they're like, maybe if we beat him, maybe let's just like add a physical element of pain. Like, how important is this to you? Will you shut your mouth if we can really crank up some pain, some physical issues? And he would feel things and say things like it was an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. It's like, man, this dude's a nightmare. You can't even like break his arm enough. You can't hit him in the back with a whip enough. In fact, he makes that statement another place in our Bible. And I was texting with a guy this past week who's gone through some really difficult things because of what he says he believes about Jesus. And I, I sent him that statement from Paul and said, man, I, I, I have been there at times. 
And there is something cool to Paul, at least. There's something special to him. That you could actually suffer, be tortured, be whipped and beaten for the name of Jesus. He would see that as actually a badge of honor to wear proudly. And so the opponents of Christianity, it's like, man, throw him into jail. Man, he's, he's a problem. We got to pull him out. Let's beat him. He's a problem. So then you're like, maybe we should just kill him. And he's like, man, you'd be doing me a favor. Like, if I'm going to live, it's going to be so more people can gain Christ. And if you kill me, you'd be you doing me an infinite favor. I mean, I can imagine him being like, honestly, like, come here, just do that. Because, like, my chronic pain, deviated septum, at least in his face. Chronic, he's not sleeping, he doesn't eat all that well. So he's like, if I'm going to live, it's going to be because Jesus needs to be known. And if I'm going to die, that is infinite gain. You'd have been a nightmare. And it wasn't because he's just a passionate guy that found a new lane to channel his passion towards. It wasn't because he was just passionate. You couldn't slow him down because the message of Jesus was true and it changed everything. And if it changed everything, how could you not leverage your life for more people to get in on it? it, it, it it's honestly hard for me to talk about somebody who had a mission that was so compelling to them that they like happily walked into cities unknown of the suffering that was to come. It's hard for me to talk about him and not be drawn to remember another guy who actually walked into that same city except he knew what was coming for him. It wasn't unaware, it, maybe it's jail and maybe it's suffering for Jesus. He walks into the same city knowing betrayal waited for him there. He walks into the same city knowing a beating is coming. Being arrested is coming. An unjust trial is coming. He's ultimately walking into a city knowing there's going to be a point here in the near future where he's going to carry his own cross to his own execution site where he will hang for the sins of the people that are putting him up there. When Jesus walks his way to Jerusalem, he knew God's wrath was waiting for him there, and yet compelled by love, he continues to walk that road. He walks that road and shows up. It's hard for me to talk about Paul going into a city because he felt value in how he could use his life for the life of other people. It's hard for me to say that and not be drawn to Jesus, who has done infinitely more to provide life and value to the world hangs on the cross he willingly walked to because he was convinced, compelled by love. Humanity has not lived up to the standard and I can fix it. Here he steps. I can take the wrath. I can be punished like I'm the one committing those kinds of sins so that they walk free. He knew what was coming in Jerusalem and he walked that road anyways. I feel like there, there's a lot of things that I can spend my time doing that are good things. Like there's a lot of purposes in this world that are worthy of time, energy, resources, and effort. I don't want to downplay that. In fact, I've got a friend who started an apparel company just to raise money uh, for people around the world who don't have access to clean water. And I'm saying, man, there are really good purposes in the world worthy of time, energy, and resources. 
I don't want to downplay that. What I do want to do is elevate for the follower of Jesus. There is a purpose that stands alone at the top. There is a purpose that is more worthy of your time, more worthy of your energy, more worthy of your resources than any other purpose in the world. It's simultaneously worthy of your life, your time, energy, resources, and if it should come to this, it's also worthy of your death. And that's just getting the message of Jesus that's eternally sweet and eternally impactful into as many hands as possible. Shaylin and I are in a, a stage of our life with a three-year-old and a one-year-old where we're starting to make some decisions about like what's going to be important to us and what are the types of places that we want our kids to be, what are the types of places that we're not all that interested in our kids being involved. And so we're starting to make like a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger decisions as they get older. And I feel like beyond career, professional, financial, athletic, academic success, this is what I dream about. This is what keeps me up at night. This is what fills my prayer life. Is that beyond all this stuff, that, that, that's, that's good, and, and we'll celebrate that as parents. Beyond all that, there is a higher purpose in life. There is something that is worthy of their life, and if it should come to it, is also worthy of their death. In countless thousands, tens of thousands of followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago believed it, and because they believed it, they walked this road. And they died these deaths because they thought there's a generation to come in other cities, in other continents, in other time periods that we desperately want to have access to the message of Jesus. There's grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. And I want to be part of you having it. So I'll leverage my life. And if it be, I'll leverage my death. We're trying to build a church here. Like we're, we're a young church. And we're trying to build a church here that's about something so important that we honestly believe it's worthy of our time, energy, and resources. We're building something that we think is so important that if it costs us everything to accomplish, sign us up. I've already been criticized a little bit for leading this church to a place that cares about getting this message into new places. I've been criticized. We care a little bit too much about that. And I slept great that night. That, that is certainly a criticism that makes me feel like we're, we're in the right space and we're walking the right kind of road. This, to me, is a section of the Bible. This, to me, is something that's been stirring. Like, you want to know a little bit about me? You want to try and understand a little bit about what I'm about and what I'm trying to lead our church to be about? This is it. Like, the veil's off. I will happily sleep every single night if the greatest criticism to this organization is I think you care a little bit too much about getting this message to new people in new spaces with names and stories that are unyet reached and currently far from God. I'm like, yeah, I I'm okay. I'm okay. We can't do everything. We've got to be really strategic about the things that we do do. This purpose stands alone for the follower of Jesus, and so we're going to be about it. We're going to be about it because we love Upper Arlington. We love this city. We love Ohio State. 
So what it takes to leverage our lives and our time and our energy and our resources, sign us up because this is worthy of our lives. And hear me, if it should come to this, I think it's worthy of our deaths as well. May God create something here. May he build something here. That's also so strategically part of the movement of Christianity, getting to the ends of the world for years and years to come. May he also build that here. Let me pray and ask him to do that for us. God, you, you certainly know what, in my moments of strength, in my moments of clarity, you certainly know what's most important to me, what I want to be most important to me. You know what I want for my family. You know what I want for my marriage. You know what I want for this room. And I'm asking God that, that you would use people convinced that, man, they're, they're so far from perfect. You would use people who are convinced of what Paul was convinced of, that they, more than anybody, are deserving of your wrath. Would you use us, broken and messy and everything? Use us in the same way you used him. God, allow us not to become callous. Allow us not to become casual. Allow us to be so convinced this is worthy of our life. Allow us to be so convinced that if it should come to this, it's even worthy of our death. God, we love this place and we love our university. And so we just ask that you do something here. You change lives. You change hearts. You add value spiritually. You add value in relationships. You add value to people being helped. God, we need you to do it. We need your strength. We need, we need your power. We need your grace. And so would you give it to us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.